Hi, today I want to just carry on with this series I'm doing on the uh, the uh, three little important letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, written to these young leaders that were to lead leaders and to help uh, those leaders to understand how the church should conduct itself, God's people should conduct themselves in, the, in God's household, the, the church, which is to be the pillar and foundation of uh, truth and we look at this in the, the this is a fifth session I want to look at uh, uh, that we need to be understanding and looking for emerging leadership and so I want us to read just together a few verses well-known verses in 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and he says this Paul writes to these two young men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he says here is a trustworthy saying if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. <clears throat> he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment of, as the devil. <clears throat> he must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest again. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be worthy, women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul also writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, or 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, that you must teach faithful men to teach faithful men. To teach faithful men and then of course in Titus chapter 1 from verse 5 he tells Titus the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you an elder must be blameless the husband of what but one wife a man whose children believe and are not open to char the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer or a bishop or an elder is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, 
and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And then he goes on and talks about what will be happening towards the end of the last days. So <clears throat> emerging leadership is something that the Holy Spirit is very, very keen for us to understand is important. And Paul writes this and says that there's certain characteristics that we need to look for before we release people into eldership. Now, I said in a previous teaching that this 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus chapter 1 and also in 1 Peter, I think it's chapter 2 when he talks about elders and what they to do, uh, they really are pictures first and foremost of what a mature believer should be. They really are just what Jesus was uh, in the parts that he could uh, fulfill these aspects of what's written down here in these, uh, these three letters. Uh, but I just want to highlight some things because I have already taught in a previous session on maybe a few months ago that somewhere on the internet there on uh, NCMI Global. But I just want to highlight a few uh, major issues here that do, we cannot get around. First of all, we need to look for people who are faithful. They need to be anointed. They need to be called that by God. They need to be recognized by apostolic team, others outside of themselves, and by the people. And there must be people that are responding to God's truth. So here are some of the characteristics that I just wanted to highlight again. First of all, they must be keen, K-E-E-N, keen about God, God himself. They must be keen about God's people, his church, and what he's doing, who he is, what he is, and what he's doing in and through the people of God. Secondly, they need to be caring. They must care. They've got to love the people. They've got to visit them, pray for them, support them, encourage them, and hold them accountable. Care enough to even hold them accountable. And then thirdly, they need to be concerned, concerned about the church when it deviates from the word of God. There's got to be a concern in their hearts. If they just say, well, that's okay, okay, sarah, sarah, I believe they disqualify themselves from God's release into eldership. And this is not any elders, but this is also true for deacons. So they have to be concerned about the church, the way the church lives, the way the church behaves, the way the church speaks, how we speak about each other, etc. And we've got to be concerned about whether there really is true Bible faith and not just something we're trying to uh, force upon people. Faith life. And then they've got to be concerned about the true glory of God, which is reflected through the obedience to the word of God. And fourthly, they need to be kingdom minded. We've got to be able to, they've got to be able to truly put truth before tradition, conformity to the word of God before comfort. They've got to be flexible, can't be rigid. They've got to be teachable and able to teach. They've got to be success orientated. You don't want people who are forever thinking defeat, victim mentality. And they need to be, to some degree, decisive. Elders have to make decisions. And so do deacons. And so they have to be decisive. You can't just go on and on and on thinking and talking and talking forever. Fifth, I think it's uh, the next one is that they need to be committed. Committed to, they really need to be committed. Uh, faithful 
in marriage, in, uh, in to, faithful to God, to the leaders, and to the sheep, the, the, with no hidden agendas. They need to be an example, and they need to be givers and not just getters, goers and not just stayers or gatherers. And then they need to be cooperatives. Uh, in other words, that, and I know this, I'm touching these things over and over and over again, but to be cooperative, you've got to be teachable. You've got to be trustworthy and trusting. You've got to be a, a team person, team-minded. And then moving on quickly, they also need to be consistent. These are things we need to be looking for people, consistent. They're able to prioritize, able to work things out, their priorities, in a, in a balanced manner, not always frustrated, always dropping in things and chopping and changing and running all over the place. Uh, they need to be uh, consistent in their doctrine, doctrinally, and their theology. They need to be consistent in their personal con integrity, in their self-discipline, and not always running off after the, 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 the latest fad or the next fad that passes through the church. And then they need to be clear-sighted. In other words, they have to have pure motives, the ability also to be able to see down the, the road to what I call scoping, uh, seeing the long-term ramifications of decisions made now, that they don't just make decisions now to ease the situation now that are going to cause more problems down the road. You've got to be able to see it down the road, clear-sighted, and then they need to be clear-conscienced, uh, shunning even the appearance of evil, not just evil, even the appearance of evil, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 tells us. Avoid even the appearance, even if it looks wrong, stay away from it. So that's uh, what we're to look for, emerging leadership. But then another thing that we are, we've got to deal with that we were talking about some of the things that are their task and uh, what they to look for and give their attention to, etc., now we want to look at what they are to deal with. What does leadership deal with? Well, first of all, can I say they need to deal with rebels. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through to 5 tells us that in the presence of God, uh, sorry, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says this, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And then if you go down, you'll see that you've got to deal with these people. Ask God to give you, as leaders, a discerning heart that is able to pick up problems and problem people even before these problems emerge. God can give us, when we are leaders in the church, God gives us these supernatural impartations that we can see this person's going to be a problem. Look out, pray into, deal with counsel and help them through those before these things uh, blow up and mess up the church. You know, legalists are normally, to me, I, I've watched legalistic people, they're normally repressed or oppressed rebels. They look so right. They look like they're compliant, but they're actually oppressed or they are repressed rebels. Legalism is normally licentiousness cloaked or disguised. So bear that in mind. And then we've got to also deal with people, but where we bring, give them repentant hope. 
If you would look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through to 17, you can read that for yourself. But you'll often find in churches, if your church is counting for God, you're going to find there are going to be people there who were once leaders in the body of Christ who have blown it somewhere along the line. And they're hidden in almost every church. Every church I've ever pastored, I've seen these people hide themselves. People, when we are going uh, from the uh, part of the team into different churches, constantly the churches that were counting for God, I'd find hidden there people who were in great leaders, some of the great leaders of some of the nations in the church that have blown it, made some mess up of their lives, and they're just looking for a place to find God and find forgiveness and find restoration and reconciliation and that they can be back in ministry of kind, of sorts, uh, whatever the scripture allows them to still be. So bring them hope and bring them help and bring them a restoration. Recognize them. Ask God to help you to recognize them and show them that they can rise up again. And <clears throat> moving on very quickly to what we are then as from these letters, what we are to teach and to do. We've been looking at what we're to be. We're looking at what we're to do. But yes, some of the stuff that we need to be teaching, help them to remain on course. I'm going to just give you a few little things that I believe that really are important. Remember I mentioned earlier on that we need to keep the supremacy of Christ, Jesus Christ, as a central focal point. That Christ must always, our message, our life, our lifestyle, our talk, our walk, everything in leadership, well, it should be for all Christians, but it's absolutely essential in Christian leadership. Our message, our lips, our lifestyle, our talk, our walk should focus on the supremacy of Christ. Jesus Christ is the Lord. If you look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through to uh, chapter 5, uh, uh, verse 15, you find it all the way through. By that, I'm just going to highlight a few things when I talk about the supremacy of, of Christ as King. Because that's the second part of, before I just finish, try to do a little more of the supremacy, remember the second aspect is the centrality of the kingdom, that Christ must be King. So I'm going to just try to incorporate those into two, two just for the sake of time. The supremacy of Christ the King and the centrality of the kingdom. Christ must always be kept in his right place above all other things, no matter how important other things may seem. You can look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 23. You can look at Ephesians 2, 14 and Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through to 11. Chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. That Christ needs always to be kept in his rightful place above everything else, every situation, every other person, including yourself and your family, Christ first. Secondly, he, Jesus, we must remember, is the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Everything is in, from beginning to end and everything in between is all about him. He is the first and the last. He is life and the source of life. He is the central factor of history and the scriptures. History really is his story. It's all about Jesus. 
He is the life and the source of life. In him was life. The Son of Life gives Son of God gives life. I'm just quoting some of the scriptures I've got here. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I give them eternal life. And so it goes on. So he's the central factor of all of life, history, and the scriptures. So he must be kept the focal point of all of our preaching, all of our counsel, all of our teaching. In one Acts chapter 8, verse, uh, I think it's verse 5, it says, They preached Christ to them. In, in uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it talks about them preaching Christ. It's not preaching about church growth, numbers, power, fame, popularity, success, personality, cults, techniques. It's got to be preaching Christ. So whenever we, whatever subject we're preaching on, Christ is the focal point. And so if you want to, you could look up, and I wish we had time to do this, but look up 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. It shows you, it's like a summing up of all of what I'm trying to say there. And then again, you could look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through to 11. So, I see I've still got a few minutes here. I'm going to just talk a little bit about how we should retain life. In other words, we need the presence of God in our midst. Uh, how do we retain the life of God in our midst? Well, first of all, there needs to be covenantal relationships. We need to live committed, committed to God, committed to the leadership in the team, committed to the sheep, and then committed to winning the world for Christ. If we leave any of those areas out of our commitment, total commitment, surrender to Christ, submitted to Him, entrusting our lives to Him, if we leave any of those out, committed to God, to the leaders, to the sheep, and to world evangelism, winning the world and discipling them, I, I, I tell you, we'll, we'll not retain God's life. We'll have to start using techniques and tricks and start to force things. But we not only need to be committed, but we need to be submitted again to God, to the leaders, to the sheep, and to the call of God on our lives to win the world. And then we need to be willing to serve, committed, ser submitted, serving. And we need to be willing to be preserving. In other words, we're not living in a way that decays, but a way that like salt and light that preserves. So we need covenantal relationships. Then we need also to be evangelizing and becoming mature at the same time. You can't have one without the other. An emphasis on the new birth and true discipleship is absolutely essential. An emphasis on people being truly born again and then being true disciples of Christ, teaching converts the privileges of grace, but also the responsibilities of grace. Teaching them that grace demands that we hold out, we held accountable. We don't allow people just to lose the wonder of their salvation. Have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, just verses 15 to 17. Help people to retain that wonderful thrill of this is what it means to be saved. I thank God. I think I can say this truthfully. Every morning, thank you for saving me, Father, for delivering me, coming to my rescue, pulling me out of, this, out of sin, changing the whole course of my life. We need to be excited about our salvation 
And I've been saved 50 something years now. But also not only covenantal relationships, how do we retain the life, covenantal relationships, evangelism, maturity, but we also need to maintain unity, seeing ourselves as part of the whole and seeing every part of the life of the church, not in its own little segment, but all part of a whole, like quarters of an orange. You can't just take one and say, well, I'm for prayer or I'm for praise or I'm for evangelism or I'm for helping the poor. You've got to see the whole context and live in unity. See yourself and the whole life of the church as in unity. Keep the unity of the spirit while we move towards the unity of the faith, as Ephesians chapter 4 talks to us. Uh, and that's where God can command the blessing. And then we've got to move on, not only as it's covenantal relationships, evangelism and maturity and unity, but also the structure. We've touched these things, but I'm touching them again, that we keep them flexible. And then outreach, personal evangelism as well, as well as from time to time, having special meetings, asking the people to bring people in, unsafe people, praying them in and seeing them come to Christ. Outreaches, faith, we've got to guard our hearts. Faith is an essential part and then prayer, personal prayer, togetherness prayer, full nights of prayer, half nights of prayer, fasting, uh, etc. And then bear this in mind, if we want to maintain or, or retain the, the life of God in our church, we've got to keep people free. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. It's for freedom that Christ set us free and we're to keep the people, help them to stand fast on the liberty wherewith Christ has set them free. Freedom from rules, from regulations, from legalism, freedom from licentiousness where there's no boundaries. Uh, freedom to believe and to behave slightly differently on the non-essential issues. Freedom to speak and to dress differently. Freedom to, freedom to mature at their own rate. Freedom to experience the Holy Spirit in different ways to the way you experience Him. And freedom to worship differently. Oh, how I long to see that again come back into the body of Christ. But we're not all puppets, all sway when, when, when the leader sways. or just, just, to, just to be free. And then also we just if we're going to see this retaining of the life of God in our midst, we need to make sure that we in leadership are godly, full of faith, that we lead the way and that our leadership is flexible. And then there needs to, we need to make sure that love stays there, the love that cares, that love that makes us uh, available, our possessions available, our time available, that's demonstrated and felt, that goes the extra mile, that turns the other cheek, that embraces all. And then there needs to be personal holiness. Personal holiness. Each and every member of the church needs to be shown from the Word of God that, like God says, be ye holy, even as I am holy. And holiness is really like being like Jesus, set apart for Him, letting him live his life out through us. These things help us to retain God's life. And so, so many places, it seems to me, God's life is almost absent. May God help us. I'm hoping you're praying with me 
because I pray for these messages. I'm hoping you pray, God, use this man's messages, but use you, whatever you, whatever your name is, use me to help in seeing your name glorified in the church being built up, exalting Christ and being all about him and seeing the kingdom come. God bless you.